It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 654 of Accelerate. That's episode 654 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. Now, before I talk about my guests coming up for today's show, let me share with you some of the exciting changes that I'm making to Accelerate. In fact, changes that start with this episode here today. The first change is that instead of releasing three new episodes of Accelerate every week, I am consolidating that down into a single new show that will be released every Wednesday. And perhaps the biggest change is that instead of having just a single guest on each show, you're going to hear my conversations with at least two guests on every episode. So, I mean, Accelerate is the podcast that every expert wants to be on. And I have a great list of the best and brightest in sales, leadership, management, marketing that are lined up to share their information with you which means I'm looking forward to continuing to bring you in-depth conversations with a lot of really smart, interesting people. And for those hardcore fans, my Friday talks with my fearless co-host, Bridget Gleason, fear not, each new episode of Accelerate, just like this one, will feature a conversation with Bridget, or Captain Fantastic, as Loyal's listeners know her. Now, with more guests per show, these new episodes are going to run a little bit longer as we pack more goodness into each one. And I appreciate your support as we work hard to help you increase your sales readiness, help you stay relevant to your buyers in the face of the constant barrage of changes driven by technological innovation and changes in how our buyers do business. So again, I look forward to having you continue to join me on this journey of learning and discovery that I call Accelerate as we provide an even bigger and better experience for you. Okay, first up on Accelerate this week is Steve Preston. He's the Chief Marketing Officer at Qstream. And in this episode, We're going to talk about proficiency. Now, we talk a lot in sales about productivity, but as Steve points out, a key to productivity is proficiency. In our conversation, Steve, we're going to explore this notion of what proficiency means and what it means in the context of selling. And we're going to discuss why the ability to measure proficiency at an individual level is an important step in elevating and maintaining the readiness of your sales team. Make sure you stick around and check this out. So let me remind you that today's show is brought to you in part by our friends at Discover.org. The Discover.org platform is a game changer for sales and marketing professionals. This feature-rich sales intelligence platform is supported by over 250 researchers who continually update contact data and provide account-specific insights to help sales and marketing teams break ahead of the pack. See the product at discoverorg.com forward slash schedule hyphen demo. That's discoverorg.com forward slash schedule hyphen demo. As always, if you'd like to see show notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 654. We'll provide a breakdown of this and all the conversations on Accelerate. All right, let's jump into a Steve. Steve Preston, welcome to the show. I'm well, thanks, Andy. How are you? Good, good. You said you're just fresh off the beaches in Florida. Yes, sir. From, uh, from white sand to uh, white snow. White sand or white snow in Boston. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. All right. For people who aren't familiar with Qstream, give us a brief background on what they do. Uh, Qstream created software that kind of taps into how people think and how they learn. Um, what I mean by that is they deliver, they deliver information, little bits, bite-sized chunks to help people retain information. So obviously it's delivered to a mobile device um, and spaced out and delivered in a way that people can engage with and uh, interact with. And basically it um, improves knowledge retention by 170%. 
and it actually can change behavior. It's kind of a different thing altogether. Uh, so we've been around for nine years, and we mostly focus on sales enablement, but it really could be used for any knowledge worker. Right. So just make sure people understand is, is if you're a QStream customer, you are, let's say you've got a field sales force, you are pushing out to them on a periodic basis, short little quizzes, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. That, that uh, help you know, reinforce knowledge or teach them something new and more of a situational yeah. It seems like. Yeah, it's one to two minutes a day, you know, nice and lightweight. You know, you get a cue stream or a little bit, um, maybe once a day or every other day. Um, they are in the form of a question or a challenge um, because that's actually more effective when you think about it in life, right? You'll try something, you'll make a mistake, you'll get some coaching, and it sticks, right? Mm-hmm. Versus, you know, versus a lecture and a test, right? Um, is kind of the traditional way. Basically, it doesn't work that well, right? Um, so it does get presented as a challenge or a question or a situation to respond to, which mm-hmm. sets up that learning moment. Mm-hmm. So I might ask, put you in a situation, have you respond to it? You'll respond to it and say, all right, you, you know, 80, 20% of you answered this way, 30% answered that way. Here's a lesson on, on how you could respond to that situation. And that could be in text or video, or whatever. Um, and then, you know, if you get it right, it, it, it'll ask you again. If you get it wrong, it'll ask you again. Right. And, and it won't, it'll keep on asking you until you get it white, right twice in succession. So the algorithm understands how to space it and how to deliver those, those challenges. Now it's delivered one right after another or that's spaced out. No, you get, you, you get like, you get one a day. Right. Yeah. Um, and so when you're done, you're done. Uh, but when you get the answer, when you get the challenge, right, you'll still get asked again, you know, maybe in a few days. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you get that right twice in succession, I'll take that question out of the sequence. And if you don't get it right, it'll ask you again. So that's the algorithm in the background, background understands how to time it and how to space those questions to make sure it sticks. Okay. So in a broader sense, you could say, look, we've got a sales enablement team, maybe, or sales ops mm-hmm. team that owns this inside. That's and right. They're, and they're creating you know, uh, a cadence of knowledge acquisition, I'll call it, or questions that you're going to push out. Yep. And it could be, hey, we've got a new campaign running. You know, we're pushing this particular product or this offer. We want to make sure they understand the offer. That's right. A lot of times it gets used for reinforcement, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Sales kickoffs, product launches, and things like that, that you'll do a traditional session, like in a classroom setting, and you'll have breakout groups and so on and so forth. And then they'll send cue streams to reinforce because okay. people understand the forgetting curve, right? You'll go through these sessions. You forget right. 80% right. of what you learn shortly after you've learned right. it. Uh, this addresses that issue, right? So it helps you retain the information you've learned. And as, that's an interesting question. So without being redundant about saying questions, is one question a day enough? One Q-stream a day enough? What do you call them questions? Do you call them a Q-stream yeah, or a Q? Yeah, we call them Q-streams. We call them Q-streams. People okay. call them Q-streams, so that's what they are, right? Yeah, um, so is, yeah. is one a day enough? I mean, if you're just at a sales kickoff event and a lot of things were covered? Well, one to two a day. More than that gets to be too much. You can enroll in more. I mean, you you know, it's really kind of what your appetite is for these kinds of questions, but you got to be careful not to burn people out, you know, and to saturate with them with too much. But um, it is, actually. So a session of Q streams or questions or challenges mm-hmm. will be somewhere around 16, no more than 20 covering and certain topics. 
Over an, uh, a certain period of time. Certain period of time. That's right. Okay. So really, if you're looking at implementing something like that, it's you know you do sort of look at it almost like on a campaign basis, right? Yeah. We've got this chapter, or this campaign, or this body of knowledge we're trying to reinforce, and so we'll we'll set up the QStream. Now, do companies run them you know, multiple simultaneously, or again, do you run into that yeah. overwhelm issue? Yeah, um, that's the best way to do it. No, as a matter of fact, the best practice is the best practice would be to create themes or cohorts, right? Because every rep mm-hmm. is different. They're going to be challenged in different part of the sales cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one thing to reinforce product knowledge on a new product launch or to reinforce the sales methodology or to launch a sales methodology, right? You can always mm-hmm. reinforce those things. Sure. But on an ongoing uh, basis, when you think about it, some reps are really good at discovery. Others are really go- good at product knowledge and specs. Some are good at negotiating. Everyone has their strengths and weaknesses. So you could run this on an ongoing basis, understanding who's who needs to be uh, supported in which area of the sales cycle. And they so, could be, it could be ongoing. So you can actually tailor by the individual what questions they're going to receive. You can. You can tailor them by the individual. You can tailor them by the groups. Interesting. It's, it's, okay. it's, probably, it's probably more effective to, to create teams or groups. Right. right. Um, and the reason that works well is because not only the questions get sent out, uh, but we use game mechanics uh, to help drive up engagement. So, in other words, if we're in a team, let's say we're in the um, we're in the um, German team in, in Europe, mm-hmm. right? Um, you can set up the German team uh, versus the uh, UK team, and and you can <laughs> not have that, not that uh, we're mirroring two world wars or anything. <laughs> no, no, okay, so yeah, and we can and we can have those teams um, compete. And you can have a leaderboard. Um, so that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So not only to see how you did, you can see how you did against your peers, or you can see how your team did versus another team. Got it. Uh, so it's more engaging when you, when, you create, when you create groups and teams. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I like it. I mean, I think it's a really interesting idea for... Um, and I've had Duncan on the show a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we've, we've spoken about this, uh, or been on Accelerate a couple of times. So... Uh, yeah, it seems like so. One of the things that <laughs> that you're working on now that that one of your folks alerted me to is was this idea, of sort of a new metric, mm-hmm. if you will, in sales, which you're calling proficiency. Yep. And yeah, there's a lot of talk around sales readiness and so on. I mean, does proficiency, you know, is that is that sales readiness, or is there something more or less in proficiency than sort of the the talk you're hearing about sales readiness? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, um, it's a really it's a really simple concept, frankly, uh, but I think it's very powerful too. You think about um, a, t- a typical sales team, right? And let's assume they're using a CRM system for the sake of argument. They're using Salesforce. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, now, just about every sales team they have sales stages, right? Mm-hmm. And things that you should do during each stage. Now, depending on the industry uh, and the company, there may be three stages, such as pharmaceutical is very compressed and really within a 15-minute time frame, right? They kind of go through three phases. Mm-hmm. Or software tech may have five or six stages, and that could last sure. span six months or three months or whatever. Uh, but the point is, is you have different stages, and there are things you're supposed to do during each stage. So in the earlier stages, you should have discovery conversations, right? Mm-hmm. You should know the market you're going after, the persona right. you're going right. to speak to, and have discovery. And your job is to convert 
a prospect into an opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. Then in the middle stages, you um, you demo when you present or you deliver a value proposition and you do a more deeper discovery around a you know business opportunity, a value proposition. And then eventually you close and you go through T's and C's and so forth. But the point is, is all of those activities, all, all of those stages are defined. And you typically will have stage criteria and things you do during that stage, right? Mm-hmm. So, so theoretically, you have all these reps are doing the same thing, right? During the different stages. Theoretically, yes. Right. Um, but if you hold to that, say, theoretically, if they're all doing the same thing, why aren't they getting the same results? Right? So on the other end mm-hmm. of CRM, you're, you're tracking outcomes, um, com- stage conversion, close rates, average deal size, stage velocity. I mean, those are the metrics sales really cares about, right? Quota attainment, pipeline volume, pipeline velocity, pipeline conversion. They're probably about five KPIs that a sales exec truly cares about. That's mm-hmm. what they're forecasting against. Mm-hmm. So the things that people are doing and the results. Well, we all know that better reps get better results than bad reps, right? It's because they're more proficient. They do those things better than others. It's really simple, right? I mean, everybody knows that intuitively. People, <laughs> reps that are better at discovery create more quality pipeline and are more um, predictable at forecasting the business than ones that don't, right? The ch- well, possibly, yeah. Well, enablement, we right. do this thematically across all stages, and we're not aligning or measuring their their readiness, right? Their proficiency of, of doing those things in the stages to the business outcome of that stage. So we're really simply saying is, is get a more tight, a tighter alignment and a correlation between how good you are at doing those things and your business outcomes. So it should stand to reason that your top 20% uh, performers should be somewhere in the top 20% most proficient during different stages. So we're not talking about causation. It's not dials. You know, you turn the proficiency dial up, you get more bookings. It's not like that at all, you know, right? But it's a, it's a great way, powerful way for sales enablement to start to track and measure what they're doing and what the actual business outcome is or what they're influencing. That's probably a better way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, theoretically, I think that's, that's right. I mean, I think that, that there are some missing variables in there, but... Um, you know, because like, for instance, one of the things that you see in, in many companies is, and not to go down a rabbit hole on this, but is that, you know, managers tend to give better leads to top performers. So thus, mm-hmm. you know, the criticality of discovery is still, while still important, you're getting people that are essentially more pre-qualified and, and these, you know, these things start becoming self-perpetuating so that the yeah. top 20% are always dealing in a sort of more enlightened sphere than the next 20% that aren't being given the cherry-picked leads and so on and so forth. So if you create environments that, that handle everybody in a completely equal fashion, then what you're saying is absolutely true. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean... A- absent that, you're mostly yeah. right. So. Yeah. Well, you know, I've seen, you know, I've seen situations where rep gets, you know, has, puts up great numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and... You're, and they go to club and they crush their quota and so on and so forth. Um, and you could assume that they're really good reps. Um, and sometimes they are. Sometimes they're just in a great patch, right? Absolutely. And they have tremendous leads. Now, I've seen cases where the rep, like I said, is crushing it. And they're actually not a very good rep, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're very transactional. They have so many leads. They're just 
demo quote, demo quote, demo quote, and they're working the numbers and they're getting these results. And because you don't have that extra dimension, that actual visibility into how good they are doing these things, you're, you're lacking that insight. You could split that territory, for example, right, and get more yield out of that territory and, have, and coach the reps up on doing, being better sales reps and exactly. you know, double your output, give or take, right, right. In, yep. in that region, right? So just having that extra dimension is really powerful. There are other cases where you see someone who um, kind of the opposite, right, is struggling at the top of the funnel, and you think maybe they're not doing really well at discovery. In fact, they 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 seem to have they demonstrate that they have good skills there. It's they they legitimately don't have enough pipeline or enough lead flow in their territory. So, like I said, it's an extra it's an extra layer of visibility, and it's something that sales enablement can use proactively. So, you know, there's always a challenge of where do you aim, right? Where do you aim your your efforts and your resources? And a lot of times you get caught in this reactive mode, right? A competitive kill campaign or a product launch. And that's all well and good. Um, but when sales enable comes back and they say, we're, we're helping sales generate more revenue, they don't have any credibility because they can't connect the dots between what they're doing and what the outcome is because the metrics are too high level, more revenue, higher close rates. I mean, that's good. Yeah. You like to think that, but how can you actually prove that? Well, and the thing with all those metrics, what they haven't proven is that they actually increase real productivity. And, mm -hmm. you know, this is, this is one of the issues. I mean, and we'll, I want to talk about productivity coming up because mm -hmm. you mentioned it. And, and one slide that I thought was, was interesting that you have sort of this equation with, you know, productivity leads to a missing, a missing link, you called it, mm -hmm. leads to increased performance. And that missing link being proficiency. Um, so proficiency, is it, Let's sort of wrap up on that a little bit. Is is that just skills? Because um, to me, it's proficiency is both tangible and intangible. So how do you measure the intangibles? Well, say more to that. What do you mean exactly? Well, I mean, some of the intangibles are they're extremely important. Is you know, is this person have facility for being able to connect and engage, inspire prospects mm -hmm. to to take that next step? You know, are they? Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, they're good at small talk. Are they, you know, things that, that make a difference in terms of building trust and, and the initial stages of the relationship as well as ongoing part of the relationship versus the tangible, which is, you know, product knowledge, customer knowledge, things we spoke mm -hmm. about before. So, so how do you, how do you factor both tangible and intangible or is it not possible? Is it, is really a proficiency at this point? We're really just focused on the tangible skills. That's a, I love that question, actually. <laughs> um, that's why you come here. Yeah. For right. the great questions. Well, you want to hear something kind of nerdy? It, it, it really is. But um, the tangible, intangible, it, it's different parts of your brain are at play there. So sure. your prefrontal cortex is product knowledge specs. It's how, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, 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 it's book memory, if you will, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Uh, basal ganglia is soft skills, yes. right? Eye contact, reading a situation, that sort of thing. And those two brains um, learn differently, right? right? The prefrontal cortex is a little more traditional, more passive, memorization, repetition. Where basal ganglia, just like, you know... That's the primitive part of the brain. Yeah, it's a little more, yeah, it's a little more yes. central, more primitive. And it's, it's all like really quick, instant feedback. 
you know, and, and, and people know in everyday life, if I said something offensive, I get offensive. I get immediate feedback. If I had any emotional intelligence anymore, I'd pick up on that. And, mm-hmm. you know, you know, or if I sensed a room, I'd know what to say. And you're not saying you lost all your it. emotional intelligence, are you? No, I didn't. <laughs> but you, we know people who have, right? We, we know do, people yes. who are very, very smart and just can't read a room or can't right. do that. What's interesting is that the basal ganglia learns very in tuned into uh, cue stream. When I talked about knowledge retention and behavior change, mm-hmm. those are two different effects that a, that cue stream was tested against. Right. So not, now, and I'm not saying you you use cue stream and your behavior changes, but it's a lot. It's very much in line. Quick bits of information, immediate feedback. So you're right. I mean, you have to you have to train both both parts of your brain. Um, and you can do that. You'd learn, you'd use different methods. So what I'd say is the prefrontal cortex, the, you know, product specs, features and functions, competitive analysis, so on and so forth. You could use QStream to reinforce that kind of training Mm -hmm. that initially be more passive. And then you could actually reinforce or help with the emotional intelligence part of being a good sales rep by providing situations for them to respond to and giving them immediate feedback. Mm-hmm. And it helps you practice that part of the skill set that you're right, you need, right? Um, yeah. Well, I guess the question is, are any of your customers doing that part of it? Um, or are they mostly focused yeah. on the, well, the, I think, the tangible? Yeah. I think they focus. I think they focus on the tangible. I think others uh, do it better. I think it depends on uh, the industry. Right. You know, I, you know, with, so for example, pharmaceutical is very much about, um, and should be about, uh, a compliance being on message, mm-hmm. selling the right product at the right time, very fact-based, and that'd be more reinforcement about the product. Right. Yeah. The whole, in, the whole industry has been shifted regu- from a regulation standpoint to take the emotion and the sales out of it. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. it, I think it depends. And I think people, I think many of them, all of them use it for reinforcement of knowledge, right? And some of them use it to develop soft skills. But let's face it, you do that in real time with workshops and that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. But I, yeah. I think there's really an interesting uh Thought because it just sort of occurred to me during the our conversation here about using using a tool like QStream for that behavior change, you know, more of the intangible. Um, it seems like it'd be interesting to measure because one of the things like when we we hire recruit and hire salespeople is I rarely ever see a company that says, "Yeah, we we really look at values and character." Yeah. Right when when we're hiring people, mm-hmm. yeah, the uh, the obligatory yeah we think they're honest uh, type thing but but there's no real examination of sort of those you know basic human qualities that, that make up a person that really do dictate to some degree how well they'll perform right right um the interesting thing is um you may already know this because you've talked to duncan but the, the technology and the algorithm have gone through clinical trials mm-hmm. yeah and one of the clinical trials that was that was connected to behavior change was done with diabetics. Mm-hmm. That really, it really had nothing to do with selling. Right. Maybe the diabetics were salespeople, for all I know. But it was really about diabetes <laughs> and not selling. Um, well, behavior behavior change changes their behavior, right? Right. They their behavior, and and they actually um, showed um, uh, health changes, right, in terms of the way they took care of themselves and their diet and that sort of thing. Yeah, well, I think that that 
studies I've read, you know, reporting on about similar things is that in the medical field, and I think this does apply to to learning in any environment, behavior change in any environment, is what they found is that sort of, yeah, sort of the the short, repeated interventions, uh, which you know, I'll call cue streaming intervention, mm-hmm. you know, situational are hugely effective. Mm-hmm. You know, finding in healthcare that one of the most important things for controlling diabetes is, you know, they have people will go by home health care assistant, home health assistants, whatever they call them, mm-hmm. who work for the insurance companies, go by patients' homes and say, are you taking your medication? Are you watching what, what and they look at what's in the refrigerator? And it's like huge impact, you know, rather yeah. than doctor's visits and so on. So yeah, I think behavior yeah. change really, really useful. I can see where they, in a diabetes environment, uh, you know, yeah. are you, what you eat, so on and so forth. Very important. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, there's obviously a tie to proficiency and productivity, but so one of my favorite topics I like to ask guests and sort of spring on them is, what is productivity in sales? Hmm. Um, that's a nice question. Well, there are tons of tools out there, right, that, mm-hmm. um, that remove the wasted motion, some of the wasted motion, right? Um, I'd say if you, are, if you have an inside sales force that is uh, calling and emailing and you're not using some kind of dialer technology, uh, then you're way behind the curve, right? So sure. productivity in terms of taking away all the extra steps of dialing the phone, leaving a voicemail, you know, putting in a CRM that you've dialed the phone, that you left a voicemail, mm-hmm. a follow-up task, blah, 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 right? All that administrative time uh, rather than time, hopefully, uh, talking to prospects or talking to customers right. is, you know, um, investment made there are is our dollars well spent. And, and I'm, as a consumer, right, you know, I'm not really in the, let's say QSTEAM really isn't the sales productivity end of this, but I certainly, I run a BDR team and I have mm-hmm. for years, right? So I look at those tools as, um, you know, being kind of a blessing because not only are you getting more um, activity out of the rep, but you get more insight into what they're doing. So, so if I look at a BDR team, Again, ultimately, I look at their output. So for, you know, their top of the funnel guys. That you, mm-hmm. you know, right. So I'm look. let's say if I put a goal out there of, say, five, um, five sales accepted leads a week. It's a pretty mm-hmm. aggressive goal. Per, per BDR, right? Per BDR. If I'm hitting right. that number, I kind of don't care what they did, how they got there, right? But if they're not hitting the number, and then the first thing I'll look at is what, you know, I'll use some of those indicators as a, some measure of effort. How many calls they're making? How many emails they're sending? And if they seem to be hitting and doing all those things, the next thing I'm going to look at is whether or not they're good at doing those things. So, um, right. you know, I think sales productivity, you know, um, an analyst I, I really like once said, if, if, you, if you get a, someone to make 100 mediocre dials a day, right, you're really not getting, you're really not getting much out of, out of that investment. So making it more efficient is, is obvious. You need to do that. Um, and getting mo- most use of their time and giving them the insight and the tools they need to make the dials, make the calls, be on message, do a good job of discovering, or at least have a discovery call and get them as many at bats as possible is, is sort of those, I, I'd say those are table stakes, mm-hmm. but it gets down to the, the quality of the engagement. I'm, I'm going back to sure. back to proficiency, right? Well, which is, is something that, yeah, quite honestly, certainly in 
many SaaS companies is the quality is sacrificed for quantity. Yeah. I mean, that, that's why I asked the question about productivity because, you know, granted there's some companies doing quite well, focus more on, on anomaly on quality versus quantity. But one of the things the tools have enabled is really taking the, taking a lot of the focus off quality because, mm. you know, before, before you had all the tools and the dialers and so on that enable you to make all these calls, you had to harvest a higher fraction of the calls that you made in order to make your numbers. Right. And, but now, you know, the tools, I don't want to say they encourage a little bit of lazy, sloppy behavior, but that's what we see. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, and what's interesting is if you take that part of the sales stack, right, the dialers, even, even sales asset management, right, mm-hmm. in a way, and you say, okay, during the, the sales process, I'm going to deliver all the resource that reps need to take the mm-hmm. thinking out of the process, right? right. I'm going to tell them who to dial, when to dial. I'm going to record the conversations, tell them what conversations good and which conversations are bad. When they go through the sales process, I'm going to deliver the cheat sheets and the case studies and the scripts and so on and so you forth. Mean after the, the af- templates, right? Yeah. After the after the A is accepted, the lead, right? Yeah, throughout throughout the process, I'm going to deliver the right resources at the right time, and then when I start to track it, I'm tracking activities and I track whether or not a sales rep downloaded a document, read the document, got way all the way through the video, halfway through the video or the tutorial. So I can kind of track what they're doing, but I'm not, again, I still think that's incomplete. I, mm-hmm. I keep hammering at proficiency and I'm not saying that's the end all, but you need better visibility. You talked about the quality, the quality of the call, the quality of what they're doing. And that comes down to, you know, I use, um, if you don't mind a metaphor here, right? No, um, not metaphors. I play music. All right. What and play? I'm a drummer. Okay. And I've been drumming my whole life. All right. Spe- no drumming jokes. No drumming jokes. <laughs> no drumming <laughs> I've heard, jokes. I've heard them all. You're not my neighbor. That's fine. <laughs> so um, I'll give you an example. And I, and I studied seriously for quite a while too. Um, if you put a piece of music in front of me, um, now I'm, you know, I'm um, consciously incompetent, right? I know I don't know that song, uh, mm. you know, so now I have the music. Now there's this whole time where I'm practicing the piece, practice the piece, reading the sheet music, marking out different bars that I'm struggling on in by myself in solitude mm-hmm. uh, until I get, you know, uh, consciously competent. In other words, I'm in the studio by myself and I can play the piece from beginning to end. There's a big difference between that and being on stage, right? Where something happens, right? Mm-hmm. Something happens with the sound system. Someone makes a noise, or you know, and and I can play that song. The building could fall down, and I can play that song flawlessly. And I get beyond playing it flawlessly, and now I start listening to the musicians around me, and now it's musical. You know, that being being um, well, fluent, un- know, unconscious uh, mastery at that point. Yeah, mastery. Yeah, that, that's a that's behavior change to me. So when you when now suddenly. Yes. Whatever it is you're doing is ingrained, and you're actually having that. You're experiencing that. It doesn't have to be music. I mean, you could see that's just life, right? Oh, sales, right? Sales. Do you see people who do a product demonstration, and God forbid they go off course? You know, it's it's game over. Others, it's their plaything, right? Well, I think um, that one of the and, things and, that and they use it to qualify and interact, and engage. That's mastery, right? That to me, that's 
that's you've crossed the boundary into being proficient, right? And on that demo. Yeah, well, that's interesting too. I mean, I think that I love so the word you use is talked about consciously incompetent is requires a degree of, I mean, we're all in that situation, right? Anything new that we encounter requires a certain degree of, of uh, self-examination to, to acknowledge that, that we are consciously mm-hmm. incompetent in something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's a great progression for, I like the, the word play between consciously incompetent to unconscious yeah. mastery. Yeah. Uh, right, right, right. Cause that's, that does go well. And so, so here's here's a question is and it's unfortunately we're sort of having to start wrap up but mm-hmm. is yeah you know, for somebody that that and a lot of companies a lot of my audience we have small mid sized enterprises sales leaders you know, CEOs and so on you know is, if they don't have your tool if they're not using QStream you know how do they how do they go about measuring proficiency um. They could do it. You could do it. Um, the problem is you have to be respectful of sales reps' time, right? So what I, what I, what I, um, the guidance I offer our customers and anyone who wants to listen is, you know, you start with the metrics that sales cares about the most, right? And it may be quota attainment, but really you get down to the next level. It's like, what's keeping you from hitting a quota? And every, it seems that, that every sales team has that stage as their bugaboo, you know, stage two, stage three, whatever it is. You mm-hmm. know, we can't, we're not generating enough value. Our close rates aren't good. We're getting beat by the competitor. You can identify one of two stages that really give you a lot of heartburn. Then look at the skills required. Then start to narrow down what you're going to do about it. And say, if I improve this metric, if we get from... This scale of proficiency, say 30% proficient to 60% or 70 or 80% proficient, because that's our best, those are our leaders. Right. Then this will generate this kind of metric, either it's pipeline conversion rate or close rate or so forth. Now you're asking, how do you do that without using QStream? You could use a survey, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem with a survey is it, there's no value exchange, right? You're just, you're just it's taking self, the self-assessment too. Yeah, yeah, but you're taking yeah. you're taking the reps' time out of the field. They give marketing or sales enablement information. They get nothing in return. Mm-hmm. What QStream does that's really nice is that while you're learning, you're declaring what your strengths and weaknesses are, so we can see heat maps of where people are while they're going through the process. And it's again one or two minutes a day. So there's a value exchange, right? You could do uh, it during yeah. your own time, you know, while you're waiting in Starbucks or whatever, getting a coffee. Right. And while you're going through the process, we can show the business where your hot zones are, right? Mm-hmm. Where you need to work on. Um, and that's a little more in line. So there are other ways to do it. They're just not as slick, right? They're not as, they're more disruptive, I think. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the problem with it is if you're asking reps to self-assess, you're probably just as accurate just doing an eyeball <laughs> <laughs> yeah. thumb yeah. test. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Because... That's trouble. It's too much of the data we get in sales anyway. We even you know, gathered by some of the big research firms. Is it's self-reported by? It's not observational. It's self-reported from the companies they're serving. So yeah, yeah. You know, we have that sort of gap of real good data about what really happens in sales. And I think to your point too earlier about the stages and trying to trying to really isolate the proficiency. I think where where I think one of the issues, I think a challenge for companies is that we may say, yeah, we're having a problem in you know, migrating out of discovery into the next phase. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So what the problem must be in discovery. But the challenge is the problem is really not in discovery. It was in stage one, connecting, mm-hmm. engaging, and building trust because you haven't built trust. The customer is not going to reveal the data that you need right. to have. They don't feel right. comfortable. They're not telling you to go away because customers rarely ever tell or buyers rarely ever tell people to go away at that stage. They'll stop talking to you or do something at some point. But you might say, oh, yeah, this person, we're going to drill down and really start working with them. It's like, no, no, no. It's, it's like way back here. Yeah. Our issue is a trust issue. It's not that we can't ask the right questions. And that's the thing I always you know, try to caution companies about is they, you may identify a problem using your data in one area. Look two steps before that because that's really where the problem is. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, some of that data can be really misleading. So, to, Well, it is the of, problem. Yeah, it is to the build problem. off what you just said. So let's say, just for the sake of argument, three stages. I mean, let's say it's six really, but it's early, mid, late, right? Mm-hmm. And we see a rep that seems to be doing better than the benchmark at discovering and moving opportunities from early to mid, Mm -hmm. right? Now, at face value, you get two different reads on that, right? The glasses half full guy will say, um, Andy's really good at discovery. He's creating more value in the pipeline. Glasses half empty guy will say, Andy has happy ears, and those aren't real opportunities. Mm -hmm. So if you look further down the funnel, you'd say, well, let's see what the next stage looks like, the mid-stage. And let's say your close rate is lower than the benchmark. Well, glasses half full guy will say, boy, those are real opportunities. Andy needs to learn the product. We're leaving money on the table. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know that mid-stage criteria very well. Glasses half empty guy will say, see, that was half years. Those aren't real opportunities. And they never closed in the first place. So both of those scenarios are right. So it, but you have no insight. So if you're just looking at activities and outcomes, you just know that Andy's different. You don't know what the root cause is. So if you had proficiency layered on top of that, and you saw that Andy is below benchmark at discovery and at benchmark at the mid-stage criteria, it's more likely that it's happier is that you're not, you're not connecting, that you're not listening, that those aren't real opportunities. And that's exposing the business to forecasting risk because those aren't real opportunities, mm-hmm. right? Versus Andy's, no, actually, Andy's very good at discovery and he's very engaging and those are good opportunities. He's, he's, he's weak on the product or he's getting beat up by the competitor and he competes on price or whatever because of the criteria downstage. So without having a read on what your strengths and weaknesses are, the other data you're collecting the CRM is obviously it's useful, but it kind of leaves you wanting. It's hard to diagnose what's really going on. Now think about rolling that up, right, by regions sure. and reps, that, that becomes very material. Yeah, well, I think that's a, a good thing to wrap up on, as uh, Steve was just saying, is for those who are watching or listening, this is that that he's talking about that's a new set of metrics, which we start in the beginning, that just sort of overlay the metrics you're, the key metrics you're looking at that give you context. Because one of the problems that we addressed earlier is that we're just not very good, we collectively sales management, not very good at using the data that we're getting, right? Do we see, make correlations that don't exist, or we see causation where there's only correlation, whatever. And this is you know, proficiency to me is, you know, you talk to any sort of data scientists and you look at, at things like that. It's like, well, yeah, what are the missing variables? What's the context for the variables? And I think proficiency is something that starts giving you some context. Yeah. yeah so, said. Yep. yeah. So I think for people who are sort of looking at something like that, they might be able to help them. Then 
Steve's going to tell you how to get in touch with QStream and him. Well, just visit our website, uh, www.qstream.com. Um, look for, a, we're actually going to uh, run a, a webinar on this topic, and I'll get a little more specific and, and offer some guidance on how you can do that. That's coming up, um, I believe it's uh, in the middle of next week. I think it's... Okay, yeah, well, this will... Next this week, is, so this will be published after there. after that. So yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> go to the other site. I'm sure it's been recorded. There. It'll be recorded. Right. And there are plenty of papers written on it. Uh, there are lots of resources, or you could just contact me directly, Steve.Preston at QStream.com. Excellent. Well, Steve, well, thank you very much. Thank you, Andy. Great time. Thank you again, Steve. That was Steve Preston, CMO of QStream. Up next, it's time for another conversation with my fantastic co-host, Bridget Gleason, making her way to Wednesday from Friday. Now, before I welcome Bridget in, we need to, a little, need to do a little business. Now, friends, every week I hear from at least one listener who's looking for that new sales challenge. And my advice to them is one of the most important elements to your success is to make sure that you exercise your skills and your talents for the right company. That means one that values its employees and its customers and is a company that's a category leader. You know, it has a deep portfolio of category-leading products. So with its recent acquisition of Level 3, the new CenturyLink is a world leader in providing cloud, security, real-time communications, hybrid IT, and managed services. So if you're a top sales producer and you're looking to challenge yourself in order to take your career to the next level, Then visit CenturyLink.com forward slash accelerate and join their talent community and see if CenturyLink is the right step for you and your career. All right, up next here is Bridget. And today we're going to dive into the significant differences between managing, coaching, and mentoring. Now, top sales managers are usually adept at all three. In fact, as Bridget and I get into it, it takes all three, managing, coaching, and mentoring, to develop your sales team and help them derive the maximum benefit from their skills and their talents. So let's jump into it with Captain Fantastic. Bridget, 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 how are you doing? Andy, Andy, Andy. Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. <laughs> well, that's All good. good. All good. Even though it's getting near the end, well, as we record this, it's near the end of your quarter and you're, you're feeling stressed. You know what? Here's how I feel about it. It's a... Uh, God, it's a, it's a good kind of stress though. We, we've got the deals there. That's the, I mean, we've got them there. It's just getting them over the line. And some of them are sitting in various stages of procurement or just finishing the, um, technical sort of specifications. Mm. So go to budgeting, but we're in a good, we're in a good place. We've got uh, some good deals to bring in, but I feel, yeah, I, f- I feel stressed, but in a, we can do this. We got it. We got it. Yeah. It's in a kind of a, we got it, but we got to do it. We yeah. got to do it. But we well, got it. At least you're not like some sales teams to get to this point in the quarter, you know, a couple of weeks before the end of the quarter. And it's like, they don't even have all the opportunities identified yet. Well, and I've, I've been there yeah, where, haven't we, haven't we I, I mean, yeah, I've been there where 
I'm looking at it saying, oh, God, uh, okay, so we're close, and we know that some opportunities show up mid-quarter and we're to, or at the end of the quarter, and we can close them. We could Some of them have short sales cycles. Let's hope we get a couple of those. And we've done it, but, oh, that's a different kind of stress. That's a Hail Mary mm. kind of stress. And yeah. I'd much prefer that we need to execute. We've got some good buffer. So, uh, you know, there are 18 different ways to get to the number and, you know, so we just kind of keep, keep rolling. Nine ways to skin a cat. That's right. That's right. All so, right. All right. Well, good luck on that. And, yeah, and um, so in this episode, we're going to talk about managing coaching, and actually, a, a, I don't want to say a new term, but one we don't hear about much in sales is mentoring. And yeah, I was reading something not that long ago and, and having a lot of discussions with, with sales leaders. And when I ask them about what coaching is for them, the difference between managing and coaching, it's like, hmm, seems like something missing. Because there is a um, I don't know, definition I read somewhere, and I, I paraphrase it. They're saying managing is about coordinating and directing the activities of a team. And this said coaching is about developing, developing and elevating the skills of the individual. But when I hear most sales leaders recently talk about coaching, what they're really referring to is like tactical deal coaching, right? You know, we've got these things we need to accomplish. Here's the strategies for, for going to go do that. And this whole idea about developing and elevating the skills of the individual through one-on-one interactions seems to disappear. So what I was thinking is like, I think it's time we, we bring mentoring into the equation for sales. We're really talking about three sort of levels of responsibility, managing, coaching, and mentoring. Where managing is about coordinating and directing the activities of the team. Coaching is about defining, you know, these strategies, these situational, situ- situational situations, <laughs> department of redundancy okay. department, um, uh-huh. <laughs> and mentoring yeah, you know, it's about developing and elevating the skills of the individual. So, does that make sense to you? It does. I, yeah, it does make sense to me. I think about managing. Managing to me is. Uh, I think about managing sort of like a, a super tactical, and very that when I think about managing, I think about kind of the overall coordination of the system. The team, right. The team, the system, the inputs, the outputs, the conversions between stages and making sure it operates as a holistic unit. So I think that I look at managing as more of a system and Mm -hmm. I think it's very important. I look at coaching. I look at that as yet skill related, deal related, just uh, very much um, in the moment, in yeah. the quarter, in right. the deal. In the moment, yes. In the moment. And then mentoring is what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your career? What do you want it to feel like? What do you want it to look like? What are the gaps that you see that you have and how can I help you get those experiences to fill those gaps? So it's 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 for me when i think about mentoring it's how do i help the people who i'm mentoring to realize some greater grander 
version of themselves that they want to be personally and professionally. And that's the part that, to my experience, and, and certainly what I'm seeing in sales leaders these days, is that's the part that's getting short shrift. And this is, this is the part that, to me, is the part that really builds loyalty, builds a sense that, yeah, the, the company I'm working for and the person I'm working for cares about me as an individual and you know, helps you sort of it's like get that extra level of commitment that you're not getting because they actually they care. I mean, we all know the cliche is, you know, employees say about a boss, I don't care what you know till you until I know that you care, right? Yeah. But in fact it's a cliche, it doesn't mean it's not true. And I think a lot of employees think that way. And and the studies come out and show that that the primary reason most employees leave a company, and certainly I'm sure this is true in sales, by an overwhelming majority is their manager. And so if the manager only focuses on uh, management, as we talked about, and coaching, sort of, you know, in the moment, situational, tactical, do this, do that, and not paying attention to the individual, then, then yeah, people start thinking, well, they don't really care about me. Yeah, well, they're not. They're 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 not. They think that because they're not. <laughs> you know, they're caring about the deal. They're caring about the number. They're caring, and those things are important. But at the end of the day, there are people that are driving these things. I, uh, you're probably the same. I care deeply about the people, mm-hmm. and you know, I I have, I've had this conversation more than once this week. And at the end, as we talked about earlier of a quarter when deals are important, that I, I tell my team, listen, individuals, I care about you. That's what I care about. And if I do right by you and help you go and achieve what you want to achieve and help you grow in the way that you want to grow, if, if that's my focus, Everything with Logsio gets taken care of. It really does. If I just, I just keep it's. It's sort of like we talk about as a salesperson's responsibility is to feel that way about a customer and a prospect. Let me do right by the prospect, and everything's going to get take care of itself. Logsio will get taken care of if I do right by the prospect. If I do right by the customer, and so I feel the same with people on my team. If I do right by them, and I care about them, and help them grow. Um, Logsio is going to come out great. We'll do great. So how do you sort of split your time between the three? Between managing, coaching, and mentoring. And, and are you conscious of splitting your time or and saying, you know, I need to set aside time for mentoring people as opposed to, you know, the, hey, what have you done for me today? Yeah, I. so if I think about just broadly how it it uh, falls out. I would say managing, managing is I'm looking at Salesforce. I'm looking at reports. I'm looking at data. I'm looking at stats. We're talking about it at team meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, in our one-on-one, some of it may come out, but it's, it's, there's work that I do behind the scenes to help me be a better manager. We talk about it in team meetings, I have people who report to me that do a lot of one-on-one managing, actually. So mine isn't all frontline, although I try to stay connected. So 
I would, I would say some of it, that's where the managing the coaching and the mentoring in the one-on-ones, the two come together. Um, now they're not necessarily intertwined in a particular conversation. So for example, I may talk to a rep about the three or four deals that they're, that they have to close Mm -hmm. and we'll talk. And that's where a lot of coaching is. And we'll talk a lot about deal structure and what should it look like? And no, I don't think you should do that. Okay. Let me, so that's, there's a lot of coaching that happens there, but almost every one-on-one, I would say eight out of 10, there's a conversation about, and it may be sure, maybe five minutes because it's on my mind. Um, well, and I was going to say, you, you bring it up probably more, more often than they do. I, br- I always bring it up. Mm-hmm. So it, I, if they bring it up, I feel like I've missed something. Like if they, if it, if they have to bring it up and they feel like I've missed it or I'm not paying attention, um, I feel like I missed something. Not always. Like there was a situation where we have sort of a, a mid-market low enterprise team and we brought in our first um, really true field enterprise rep. And one of my best absolute star performers said in our one-on-one, what does this mean for me? Like, what about my career? What am I, where can I, where am I going? What can I do? What do I, and I said to him, thinking, thinking what he, this, this person you hired from the outside, maybe took something they maybe, could have had. Yeah. Maybe took an opportunity that he would have had. That's mm-hmm. not going to be available to him. And I said, what do you want to do? I said, what, what would you like to do? I said, there's some options. I said, we're going to need more management. You could manage a team. You could continue in the space you're in because you're crushing it. You could do what this person is doing and be an enterprise rep. You could, you, that's definitely a path for you. I said, another path is you could also be, um, a major to handle major accounts. You've closed some really big deals for us. They're starting to grow. They're taking more time. We get a couple of those and that could be what you would do full time. What do you want to do? And he said, well, I don't know yet. I don't know. I'm happy where I am right now, but I just, I just, I just wanted, I, 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 I'm not sure. I just wanted to know that paths were open to me. I said, they're open. And I'm, I like having those conversations where that's all he needed to know is that I'm on it. I'm paying attention. I see it. I Mm -hmm. haven't forgotten. And that, you know, I'm, I want them to have great opportunity. I want them to have great opportunity. Yeah. Within the, within the company and not, not by having to go somewhere else. Yeah. Within the company. And I, I felt very gratified that their, um, my former company had their sales kick off, I guess within the last month. And I got a text message from a manager who I'd hired there who got manager of the year of the whole company. And she texted me and said, I just want to thank you for this. I could never have gotten here without you. And you were a big part of helping me achieve this. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting, she said, you should know these three other people you hired also got, you know, rep of the year, other people that you had also influenced. And I feel really good about that because it's what I care about. 
it's what I care about that they're going, it's not, I don't care. Well, I do care that they are, let's say excelling. I think that's awesome. But I also know with each of them, I, because I've had these, I know what their paths are on and I see these, okay, good. That now they've gotten to that next step. Now they're going to go take the next one. Mm-hmm. And I just feel really good about that. That's important to me. So I do bring it up. I do bring it up. Yeah. And I think for, for people listening, it's, this is really, this is really important. And you and I've talked about this before is that we, at least I've seen this trend. Maybe you've seen it as well as so many sales leaders, you know, sort of dismissing the importance of this one-on-one time. And yeah. Yeah, they're missing, missing, missing the opportunity to do just what you did is to individually influence somebody to cement the relationship with the company, especially if they're people that are performing at a trajectory that you want to encourage them to stay on or to improve or to, you know, take that performance to the next level uh, in terms of new level responsibility. That's the one-on-one bonding time that, that really ties people to an organization and not saying that in a negative sense, tying, but that. You know, ties them emotionally, where they feel feel that the company's invested in their success as much as they're investing themselves in, in their personal success and in the success of the company. Yeah, it can't be underestimated. I was um, in a conversation I had with our, uh, our CEO today. Um, I've heard from several of the people on my team in Tel Aviv that Every uh, sales is in a different building right now as we're growing and expanding. Mm-hmm. And um, he goes over every day to the building and he goes and talks to the sales reps, listens, is on the calls, is involved. And and he's, he knows them and he spends time with them and he listens and he cares about them. And I said, I just want to plus one what you're doing because you may not get the feedback that matters, but it matters tremendously. And I'm hearing from it, you know, however many 5,000 miles away, maybe it's more than that. How far is Tel Aviv? <laughs> it's a long way. From Boston? Um, maybe it's 8,000. It's no, a long I, way. I would, I would say 5,000 is probably pretty good, but you talk and um, I'll look it up. Yeah, but I, so to hear people continue to bring it up, it it matters. So it matters your frontline manager a lot. I think to know that there are other people in the organization, particularly at the executive level, who know who you are and what you do, and they care about they they recognize your contribution. Um, it's really important. Yeah. Well, and I. That's why it's so frustrating to, to hear people sort of come around and say the other. And I think this is one of the curses of automation is that we look at data and we think we understand everything about somebody. Right. And, and this is still, we've emphasized time and time again, you and I in our conversations and other conversations I have on other episodes of Accelerate, that's, it's still a people business. Correct. Selling is still a people business and it works both externally as well as internally. And, you know, managers that, that are not devoting enough time to the mentoring and coaching aspects, and they probably, you know, naturally prefer to do the coaching because that means they're engaged and, you know, closing the deals for this month and this quarter. And, yeah, we really coach these guys up really well. But that was all sort of, hey, this is what we need to do right now. It doesn't really have to do with the individual upskilling them or, or developing their capabilities individually. And... 
Yeah, if you miss that, then you're going to say, well, why am I having this high turnover? Well, one reason is this. Yeah, and it's uh, it's definitely it's definitely a thrill to close deals and be involved. I mean, sure. it really is. It's a blast. Um, it's also a blast to see um, to see your people progress and grow and achieve things that they want to achieve. I mean, boy, that's that's as thrilling. Yeah, well, I think so. I mean, I think when you have people that that you've you've mentored, that you've helped develop, and they go out and achieve things, it's fantastic. Sometimes even more than than you've achieved yourself. That's like wow, that's glad. amazing. I'm glad right. I, glad I had a hand in that. Yeah, right. But you know, you give yourself to have a hand in it. Give yourself a chance to have a hand in it if you don't actually engage. And so I, I think when you when you think about how do you budget your time out in a week is you have to be conscious of the fact that you get some amount of time has to be spent to in these one-on-one interactions. And you can set the frequency. I mean, for me, especially when I was working in you know, a lot of startups and smaller companies, as sort of as you do, it's sort of integrated with everything you sort of do. You know, sort of yeah. stand behind somebody, listen to some calls, and then, you know, hey, you got a second, let's go stand over here and talk. Or, you know, you always set aside sort of that private time to have a little just one-on-one just as part of what you're doing. You know, Sort of the old Tom Peters management management by walking around, yeah, yeah. thing which which is valuable. I mean, I, De- <laughs> I definitely. Read, I read somebody recently sort of try to denigrate that whole concept, but it is valuable, and it's but doing it more casually. Really, I think there's a real virtue in it. instead of saying, "Hey, let's." And there's virtue sometimes too of setting up specific times where you bring people in, and and you have you know one on one that you're talking just about them. Sometimes people need that. And you should try to do that monthly, quarterly, you know, whatever sort of the opportunity you have in your organization. But keep the one-on-one things going on a constant basis. Very important. Yeah, so that they so that there's that focus. I think sometimes the one-on-ones they just know. Um, I know for my team when we have one-on-ones, I'm busy during the day, and it's hard to get my time and. When they know that they've got some time carved out, they typically come with a list, <laughs> which I like. You know, if it's anything urgent or, you know, is sure. time sensitive, though. But I think it also when they know, okay, I know that I've got this time with her and I can go through these things. I think it there's less anxiety because they, they know, okay, I'm going to have this time and I can be thoughtful about how we talk about these things. And, and it, it also, I think the one-on-one, it's, um, they do have to be more thoughtful. And mm. I think there's a lot of benefit to that also. I agree. All right, Bridget, we've run out of time for today. Andy? Yes, ma'am. Until, until next time. <laughs> Until, Until next, next time. time, I'll be here. <laughs> I'll be here. Fantastic. Friends, friends, thank you as well for joining us, as always, and look forward to speaking with everybody next week. All right. Have a good one. Friends, thank you for joining me and my guests on this new edition of Accelerate. Join me again next week as I welcome Dr. Chris Croner to the show. Chris is a clinical psychologist who teaches a science-based approach to hiring top sales candidates. In fact, if you have the time... Before the episode next week, check out his book. It's titled, Never Hire a Bad Salesperson Again. And of course, as always, my friend Bridget will be joining us as well. 
So thanks again to our sponsors, CenturyLink and Discover Org, for their ongoing support of Accelerate. I look forward to talking with you again next week.